Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And here with us today are two guests in the studio, Keith Johnson and James McQuivey, Vice President Research Director and Vice President Principal Analyst, respectively, to discuss the consequences of a very significantly changing advertising market. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Glad Thank to be you. here. Happy to be here. So in our last podcast, we talked about rethinking the conversation between the customers and the brands. And what that means is sort of having the brands rethink it based upon the terms of the customer and the context of the customer and its far-reaching implications to the advertising market. I would even say not just rethink. We're not saying, oh, let's reconceptualize. We're saying respond to something that's already happening, which is that consumers are in the process of moving away from the interruption-based marketing world that has kept us all going for decades now, and it's really the uh, the linchpin of modern marketing is interruptions. We interrupt your television, we interrupt your search interface, we interrupt your web experience, your mobile apps, all the interruptions. Well, that is being replaced uh, at first slowly, but very clearly with a different kind of interaction. And that's a conversation where in some cases it's a literal conversation embodied by Alexa or Siri or you name it down the road where there is an active agent that is persistently helping the customer get what they want, not just related to a particular brand or a particular category or industry, but across their whole life, their entire horizontal set of needs. So I just want to make sure to understand it because there's both a complex point and a simple point, and I'll deal with the simple point first. One of the themes that threads itself across these podcasts is that we're at a point in time where we recognize the artificialities that technology has brought us, that there is a sort of a, an odd relationship between brands and human beings, and use the word conversation, and that what's happening at the end of the day is we're going to use technologies to go back to some basic realities about how human beings relate to each other. Did I get that right? Absolutely. And think about it this way. Conversation is essentially what made our modern social structure possible. It goes back at least 70,000 years. Some people argue 150,000 years. It kind of doesn't matter. The fact is that we have evolved in that period as social beings who depend on conversation as our primary means of interacting with each other. And that's not to say that visuals aren't important. They obviously are. But really, the way that we understand each other is through interactive dialogue. And that's what we mean by conversation. And so very simply, that is what's happening. Now, the complex part is that brands until now have not had a mechanism through which they could engage in real conversation. Maybe you had an outstanding salesperson either on the phone or in the retail outlet, and you got lucky because that person was a master, an intuitive master of conversation. But you could never scale that. You could never make it affordable to be continuously conversing with the customer, learning everything about them, knowing everything that they might want the second before they even know and not they as, want it. Right. And sorry to interrupt you, but not as a block of customers or a segment of customers, but, but as, as a, a customer, as a single person. Individual, yes. And yeah. the technology is just about there to make that happen, which on the one hand sounds glorious and wonderful for marketers. Hooray. But on the other hand, they're realizing, A, they don't have the skills, and B, they are not sure they're going to be in line among the brands that they coexist with in someone's life to be the brand that gets to talk to the customer on a regular basis. Right. Yeah, I think there's a point here, which is that this issue of scale and one-to-many, sort of that the prevailing wisdom is that you're going to have a one-to-many mass market approach towards advertising. 
And essentially, marketing and advertising grew up around that belief system. And one of the simple things that is, you know, far-reaching and disruptive is now we're going to be one-to-one and we are going to be able to scale one-to-one. But that's a fundamental different way of thinking about it, doing it, the skills, the technologies. All There's a lot in motion moving from one-to-many and looking at scale as a premium and one-to-one looking at engagement and the quality engagement as a premium. Yeah. And, you know, the customer has decided that it's going to be a one to me. You know, they have a set of preferences that they want to control and they want to have a relationship with the brands that they want to interact with. And so in that situation, you literally have a, an, an opportunity uh, to connect with the customer if you've gotten permission and have a really meaningful relationship. But if you're not in their world, they will just decide not to be in a relationship with you. You mean in their world, meaning you understand their terms, their preferences, and the context to which they are at that moment. Without that's, a that's, doubt. That's their world. Without a doubt. Which is a slightly more complicated thing than just saying, it's already a big enough deal to say we're now going one-to-one or one-to-me. But it's, as we've been saying now for a couple of years, it's about me in my moments of need. And those moments change uh, fluidly so that 15 minutes from now, I'll have a different set of needs than I do now. And 15 minutes hence, yet another set of needs. And there will be patterns to those needs, but you've got to know what those patterns are. And so great that artificial intelligence is going to be a panacea that will solve all this, right? But it won't uh, unless you have access to me and I already trust you to be a guardian of that information about me. Basically, what we're saying is that the brands could potentially be disintermediated from the consumer because they're not in control anymore. My prediction you're going to have a small number of brands that will become the mega persistent brands in your life, uh, and then a whole bunch of brands that will become tier two, tier three. There might not even be a tier two. So, Jen, you made a reference to a future state where the disintermediate risk is real. What is the two state, which is formed by digital platforms, virtual agents, preference setting, interpreting those preferences one to me? So let's take a moment here and sort of build on what you said, Jen, and say, what what is this future state? What are these digital platforms How do they work? The easiest way to describe this is to describe what Amazon's already doing by putting a whole number of intelligent or slightly intelligent for now, and our prediction by the end of this year, very intelligent, devices across your home. And so there's the original Echo speakers that have microphones. They've added now the Echo Look, which is designed for your closet or bedroom, the Echo Show, which which has a video screen in it for intercom-like communications in the home, outside of the home. Um, they're essentially going to put cameras and microphones everywhere in your environment so that they can listen and watch. The way this is going to work, though, is the more sensors, the more data, the more data, the more intelligence they can derive and the more insight they can extract from that data, and the more they can figure out that, oh, you're engaged in this behavior at this moment with this sensor in front of you, therefore this is the right thing we should offer you. So in this description, the digital platform is is actually – interpreting the preferences, you know, fair to the customer, but nonetheless having a marked impact of which brands, you know, in, in your example, James, where you said there's a select set of brands that will really dominate a person's world, they're making a, a big play here in terms of which brands do and which brands don't. It's a huge play. It, I don't think, and one of the reasons we wrote this report is I don't think most marketers are awake enough to that reality, that Amazon, Apple, Google, maybe another competing brand will someday be that absolute holder of all the cards in the relationship with that customer. So our job is to make sure everyone knows this is coming because someone's going to win 
and a whole bunch of people are going to lose. So the idea that there's an empowered customer setting preferences and having those preferences met on a moment-by-moment basis as needs evolve, to your point, actually the, the, the platform and how it interprets those preferences and how it even adds preferences along the way based upon the, its own ecosystem, I mean, they're going to have more and more sway. So although we're talking about the empowered customer, we also there's a conversation about the empowered platform here. Is there, that's how we should think of this? Yeah, for sure. It, it's you know, we're, we're looking at, at a, a, a new system of advertising, which is one of the reasons we didn't kill the, the word advertising is that, you know, if you go fundamentally what advertising is, we're talking about, you know, crafted communications that allow customers to consume, right? Well, within that construct and these platforms becoming our new orientation to the customer, we now need a new system that can actually create and craft these relations via the platform to get to an individual customer. And this is just a new way of thinking about our advertising. Yeah, and in the background of this, Keith, you said something that that sort of made my jaw drop, which is an ad can be in the future considered to be how Siri or Alexa, whoever it is, actually responds to you. Yeah, and this is this is probably, it, actually, it may be the most exciting paradigm of, of this of all. I mean, and, you know, my heritage in advertising comes from the moving picture, which I cherish. Uh, but what I see is that the value of a copywriter will exponentially multiply as these technologies become more pervasive with voice and the visual is less of a requirement. And that's both an exciting and scary place to be where I'm crafting a conversation to have a relationship with me and my brand. Yeah, I think of all the things I've learned along the way, the idea that in the winners and losers column, one of the winners is going to be the copywriters. That surprised me probably as much as anything. Yeah, but it's not the the editor or the grammar folks. It's the people who can tell the stories, right? It's the storytelling that is the skill of the day. Which will be the skill is still in the visual domain where we – because we're not saying that television goes away. We're not saying that the Super Bowl will not be the Super Bowl. It will. It's just going to cost a whole lot more because it's going to be one of the few opportunities where you can reach a large audience with a single community-based message. So one of the core principles about marketing right now is that the marketers are not great at telling stories where the customer is a protagonist of that story. They're very good at talking about their products, their brand, and on their terms. And that's one of the big changes afoot in B2C and B2B. And, but now we're talking about something slightly more and, and different, which is they're going to have to interpret the customer's preferences at a very micro level and be able to tell stories with the customer still the, the, the protagonist, but the plot line is what the preferences actually mean. That's, a, that's, a far, that's far away from where we are right now from a skills perspective. So if the copywriter is going to be really important, there's also going to be a resurgence of psychology here. Because what you're describing, we're making it sound like consumers are even aware of their actual preferences as if it's a fixed thing that, oh, I just need to tap into your brain and see these five things and I can give you those five things. But you don't really know what you want until the context of the moment constructs what you want in that moment. And so me reliably getting ahead of you is going to be very, very challenging. So part of it is a measurement environment anchored at some level, say in digital around click-through rates or in TV around ratings. Now the measurement environment is going to deal with the success of each interaction in that conversation. And if you want me to scare you to death, it involves continual measurement of the camera and microphone that are in front of you now sensing whether I've accelerated your heart rate, 
whether I've caused your skin to flush, whether your tone of voice indicates more excitement than it did just a minute ago, uh, or concern. Yeah, that's happening now in a, from a security standpoint at airports. It's happening with airlines. It's happening with retail, making decisions about how to support certain clients based upon biometrics and that type of thing. So we're, we're going to a place where we went from mass marketing to one to me, and now I'm inside their head, and I'm inside their heart rate, and I'm inside the biometrics of it all. I mean, I'm, I'm really getting intimate to that person and understanding things at a level that I could never have contemplated before. And to your point, that's a different skill set, a different measurement environment. That's just a different planet. And only a handful of companies will, A, build those skills, and B, have the permission to do it. So we can talk about the tech all day, but James, you just touched on a very important point that if brands don't have permission to have this relationship, to gain access to the preferences, then it's a, it's a showstopper, right? And particularly in today's environment, climate, where privacy is a huge topic of conversation, particularly with GDPR or the General Data Protection Regulation, how are brands supposed to resolve this? Well, it's going to be an interesting cl- uh, question and see how it unfolds. But, you know, you're going to see that that brands are going to have to make some very conscious decisions about how they interact with their customers. And some of those brands that we know that right now that probably have permission, like an Apple, are literally uh, making business decisions around uh, privacy that I want to I want to secure my customers privacy and that will bring even more gravity to my brand and uh, they'll facilitate a system around that. I mean, just as an observation, sort of Apple taken aside for a second, which is we, we talk about sort of a very changing digital economy a, a premised on digital platforms, virtual agents. And, and Jen, you brought up privacy. There's a direct assault on the very evolution of technology and digital because privacy left undressed is going to be a huge financial burden on companies either to build to it, to meet it, or to have enforcement come from behind and grab it later. I mean, we're at a point in time where, to your point, maybe bringing Apple back on the table, you have to design for this thing now in terms of privacy as not just a human right, but actually as one of the preferences that are that would be set by a customer. Yeah, I actually personally don't really care whether we as a society desi- decide that it is a human right or not. It's just going to be a really smart business to serve the customer by respecting their information while using it. That's the balance. You've got to use it. It'd almost be instantiated as a preference at that point in time. Absolutely. So let's talk about consequences for a second because we've talked about a very different world that is emerging, and back to your point, James, at a very fast clip. Some companies hear the drumbeats and are moving now. Some are sort of hanging on for dear life. But nonetheless, the, the clock keeps ticking on this stuff. So let's talk about who is affected ultimately by these changes and what does that effect look like. And let's start where the story begins, which is the storyteller themselves, the advertiser. So what what is the impact to the marketer, to the brand in all of these changes? One of the obvious things is you go from messaging outbound as your primary interaction with the market, with your customer to receiving inbound information from the customer, which is a different set of skills internally. It's a different set of processes, databases. I mean, you have appliance manufacturers, you have uh, 
fast-moving consumable products that you never bothered with a consumer database before, and suddenly now you're going to have to have one, and you're going to have to figure out what goes in it and what you do with all that information. So there's a massive change inside the marketing department of who you're hiring, what you're having them do, and what you think of. And if you think of it as, oh, well, didn't we already do this? We went through social media where we started listening to the customer. And that was listening in a very random way to the loudest, squeakiest wheels. Now we're talking about comprehensive listening across your entire customer platform. So it's the whatever angst social media listening caused you, just multiply that massively. So James, you talked in the last podcast about at the starting point, people are going to move money from old system advertising to new system technologies, AI being an example, and a, a fundamental either learning or relearning what a customer is, what their preferences are at a very micro level. Um, and that means both the customers they have and the customers they may want to have. That's a big difference in how money moves, how, what the budget looks like, and what the skill sets are. Is that a fair interpretation? Yeah, for sure. And so let's just say the money doesn't go away. The system still has to change. We've went from a traditional uh, agency of record mar- model to moving to a media agency, which then is brokering a media plan to get access to customers. Let's keep it that simple for a moment. Now that we're talking about platforms being involved, there starts to be uh, what does the me- where do the media's dollars actually go? Programmatic was pretty simple because now we're, we're just talking about another system that's taking on the same dollars, but being able to distribute or trade those dollars at a more effective rate. And we hope that, that we get better analytics. But now we're talking about what if that part starts to diminish, we keep the dollars, but now it moves into a platform. What happens? Are the consultancies actually more positions because they've been building platforms for these brands, these customers for a long time? And then for the the brand agencies, um, you know, their craft doesn't go away, but they certainly need to get smaller because you're now you're orienting around a customer who is being oriented by a platform who probably needs less care because the machines are doing more. Part of the challenge I think marketers have with the with the advertising market is its inherent complexity. I mean, you said, let's start with a simple thing. And advertising is in by no way, shape, or form simple. You have a very complex agency structure with trading desks in different places. Programmatic is confusing for many people. It's still a very people-based business. You have opaque arbitrage sitting in a trading environment that people can't figure out. No idea if that's a big waste of money or if that's a good thing. I mean, part of this is old system is inherently complex and opaque. And that's part of what's happening here is let's bring this into a place where technology can make it transparent and at least at face value, simpler. Yeah, and the marketers have been wanting to uncover their value uh, for quite some time. And this is why, um, you know, display media started coming into play and programmatic uh, started growing, you know, exponentially with all these companies that are out there. But now we're seeing is that we've just created an even more complex system of the way the money moves around. And now there's an ask for, well, can we get this right? Can we make it simple, truly? And can I access my customer in a more effective way uh, without diminishing the brand? So from a standpoint of using disintermediation as an example, which is the conversation that a brand has with a customer in the context of the old system, the agency and that structure plays a critical role as the middleman in that relationship. Now the goal is for the brand to have as much direct access as is feasible. 
Yeah, both the brand and the agency need new skills, but you're actually going to see a, a redistribution of those skills. There's some things that the marketer or the brand need to just simply control in-house because this is a, just a different way of talking to your customer. But then there's other things that the agency needs to get better at um, or actually capabilities that they need to grow to be more platform-oriented. So from an, from an old system standpoint, you know, they, you, you look at these forecasts and the ad spend may grow 2% and that's considered to be a bad outcome and make, you know, grow 5%. That's considered to be a good outcome. But the outcome of this is actually double digit negative impact on the overall old system advertising spend. I mean, so those who keep those systems in place should expect to see a major hit on their P&L. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the uh, those are at the front of this, you know, the the brand agencies. Um, I think there's been a, a, a large recalibration in the agency of record as, as far as, as, as what's happening there. But the media agencies, the PR agencies who have been taking on social and paid social and all those things, um, you know, all that is about to be disrupted. And you're going to see there's been a lot of growth in programmatic. There's a lot of companies that been have been born. We're going to see a massive consolidation. There's just not enough of the money to go around for that particular sector of advertising. New types of advertising will be born. Can I just say, from thinking about how, yes, uh, in theory, the ad business is simple, uh, but it's got all these complicated machines going on behind it and all this machinery. Um, what we're about to move into is a world where even the outcome isn't simple. Because at least in the world where we're talking about now programmatic and so on, the ad unit is standardizable. Well, now, how are we going to value that the fact that the sensor we have pointed at your face detected that your heart rate just went up or that you got emotionally engaged by what I just said? You mean value monetarily? Monetarily. Yeah. How do we communicate to the marketer that they scored? <laughs> and how much does that marketer turn around and pay for for that? So the beneficiary, James, in that example that you're talking about could potentially be Google or the Amazons who are brokering the relationship between the consumer potentially and that brand. Yeah, they, that they serve up that brand. They detect that the brand was favorably received, even if they're not, the customer's not ready to purchase yet. But we can measure your facial characteristics or whatever. And then they turn around and say, okay, brand, pay us for what we just accomplished with your customer. And do you now want to pay extra for us to slot you First in line, anytime there's an opportunity for your brand to be relevant and appropriate. So I don't know how Amazon will choose to do that, how Google will choose to do that. It's like search rankings, conversations that people have about, about Google today. Um, but it it's not as easy as just measuring search ranking performance. It's about emotion ranking and relevance ranking and what what achievement did we accomplish with that customer on your behalf and how much will you pay us for that for that customer that right. individual customer in that moment in that moment certainly search outcomes are driven by the customer and how many you know search they do and also by monetary relationships and so now we're talking about that being displaced by a a change of a facial expression causing someone to move up the list that has a different monetary value than maybe a negative facial expression, which happens in real time. So those lists are extremely fluid. And so the monetary relationships and how you how that gets worked out is a very dynamic environment. Now, I don't think it, we have a precedent for it. I don't know that we know how right. that trading of value between the, the digital platform and the brand is going to be accomplished. So maybe another obvious statement, but in sort of the old model, right, the beneficiary of this ad spend used to be the publisher. And 
in what you just described, they are nowhere in that system. Is that an accurate observation? It appears to be. Uh, we're seeing that movement already. You see the New York Times, you know, already now for a couple of years making more money from subscription revenue than ad revenue. Yep. And their ad space is still really hallowed. I mean, it's really valuable, but it's never going to have the full context that these platforms will. And so I think they will continue to move in the direct monetization of content direction. And we wrote about that in our report where we said people will pay, end up paying for more stuff. Uh, not that consumers want to, it's that for good content to get produced, someone's going to have to pay for it. So th- we have a whole bunch of, you know, publishers who publish original content or whether user-based content, but they're but they're they're first in, and then you have a set of aggregators that live off the ad model. So this ad-supported model, I guess, is it at risk? Is it fundamentally at risk? I believe it's going to be progressively at risk for sure. Um, it's just what we're doing right now is unsustainable. And, you know, uh, you know, the, the system of digital advertising uh, has agencies and, and media companies have all been very resilient with this, this digital advertising and, and social and everything. But now we're coming to a point at which uh, there's a question of the value of those advertising interactions and, and the media itself. And so is the revenue at risk? Perhaps not. Where that revenue is going uh, is going to put a lot of companies at risk that are in the current system. But, it's, but it appears at face value that there's a, a mechanism in place where I'll put a, an article up. I'll put something up merely because I'm trying to create ad space. I'm just trying to create an, a movement of eyeballs. It's not content I'm terribly proud of or going to put a lot of conviction behind. I'm just sort of gaming the system a bit. That, that is fundamentally at risk. We want that to be at risk, don't yeah. we? I mean, this is where fake news thrives. And if we really want a society where people only put up things that they think will help other people, this ad model that's so easy to exploit really should dry up. Now, you're certainly seeing a bunch of companies that have literally have built their entire company and its revenue model on advertising. If advertising shrinks or the brands that actually have permission to advertise or the platforms that we're actually using shifts from one or another, there are winners and losers in this situation. So we, we've looked at the advertisers and there's a sea change in front of them from a technology skills and, and how they work perspective. The agencies are at risk if they don't move and don't sort of move into this new environment. Again, that's a skill question. There's a, certainly a hit on the agencies. The publishers, especially those who are are built around uniquely around the ad supported model, they're certainly at risk. We're not just looking at sort of loss of the PL. We're talking about the extinction of companies at this point in time. Let's move now to the digital platforms because the digital platforms, ironically, are a mix of these. They're, they're not uniquely digital platforms. What happens to them in this new model? What they have is this incredible ability to uh, use today's model, advertising. To milk it. Milk it. Yeah. And then fund the investment into all kinds of technologies that will drive the next model. Uh, and to the extent that they do or do not succeed will just be a question of whether they make the timing of the switch uh, right. And that's, I think Google's the most at risk for that. It would be hardest for Google to move to relationships where there's still billions of dollars every quarter just sitting there ready to be harvested on the easy advertising side. Um, so it'll, we'll see how much courage they have as the trend. They'll, they'll work very carefully to make sure they don't jump the gun. Um, but they know that if they jump too late, it will be eternally too late. 
even in that comment, James, it appears that Google potentially could be the the legacy enterprise. Yeah, without a doubt, even Google is not immune from disruption in this situation. Well, and it's we've seen this in tech before. I mean, Yahoo used to be Yahoo until Google became the new thing. Uh, and if they if Google doesn't time it right, they will be disrupted, as Keith says. Um, but the question for me is, all right, well, what are the similar risks for an Apple? Uh, you know, Apple, as we talked about, is deciding to double down on privacy. Great. They're good at devices. They're good at intelligence. But can they shift their business model away from premium devices that people don't need to buy every 12 months anymore and instead are making them last for three, four years now? And this is really hurting them. Uh, can they shift away from hardware margins, which are so attractive, to services? And that's a big question for Apple. So even Apple is subject to possible disruption. Amazon, I think, is the one who just has the most going for it purely because they seem to have no philosophical commitment to any particular business model. They're deep into advertising. They're deep into B2B services with AWS, which is the profit engine that drives all this stuff. Um, and obviously, they're helping retailers around the world sell to their own advantage. So you know, I think just because they're not ideologically committed, Amazon has the most flexibility here uh, about what shape they could take in the future. But really, there's no guarantee that one of these companies is going to end up uh, beating out the rest. But one of the key piece of advice is don't fixate on your sunk cost and don't try to overmilk your existing business model because these changes are coming and it's going to be premised on, on the customer's preferences. And if they keep on not choosing you because privacy is a preference or I don't actually want my data used that way, or you're, you're, you're throwing ads at me that aren't relevant to me, I will move platforms. I will start voting away from you. So they're, they're as susceptible as everyone else is to changing customer preferences and expectations. Yes, and, and the trick will be pinning down which preferences will matter. So it's going to be trying to pinpoint which consumer preferences will matter most two, three, five years from now. And uh, you know, this I consider myself to be really aware of and at the forefront of consumer psychology and behavior. And I have some bets I'm going to be placing in these five years. But uh, I'll tell you, even someone with my background can't say for sure which ones are going to matter. So we started this, this dialogue with the premises that advertising as we know it is at an end. And we're finishing this dialogue with a picture of a world that at some level looks different very different, almost unpredictable, and yet at some level is so basic and simple. So as we look out three years and we look at all the different players we refer to, the advertisers, agencies, publishers, and platforms, what does it all mean into the reconstruction of the market and the way things work? Well, I think, you know, just like the consumer wants the simplicity of an experience, I think, you know, businesses are going to look for a little bit more simplicity in how they actually do business and connect with their customers. Um, we're talking about a, a system that needs less agencies. We're talking about a system that needs less complex technologies uh, that can provide a much more meaningful experience. Um, and we're talking about uh, media uh, being less valuable unless the customer truly wants it. Well, even as Keith is pointing out that the companies will want to make it simple for them to have what feel like natural conversations with consumers, uh, I think, unfortunately, the it's, there's going to be a lot of complexity we have to go through to get to that simplicity, if I can be so glib, that there's change in organization, there's change in approach, there's change in technology, all of that. 
but probably most of all, a change in understanding what it means to serve a customer. And you know, when we started talking years ago about the age of the customer, I don't think we realized just how true that was going to be and how fundamentally decisive it would be in the next three, five years. And so as you're saying, what do we do for the next three years? First, you got to decide if you believe this is happening. We do. We obviously do. We see the evidence. If you believe it's happening, you start shifting now because when it starts to happen, you won't have a 10-year lead time like the newspapers did from 1998. You'll have a 10-month lead time. That's the power of digital disruption. And we're, we're about there. So I, I suspect we'll be back with both of you gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time because we're looking over this, you know, to your point, this big precipice of change that is undefined and fluid. And we'll come back and take a peek at where we are in, in a month, two months, and three months. So thank you so much for Sounds your time. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Looking to dive deeper on this very topic? Join us for a webinar with James McQuivy, Keith Johnston, and Shar Van Boskirk, Wednesday, June 28th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Go to 4.com slash ad to register. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash A-D. Thanks for listening.